Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere, where CEOs, leaders, and experts at building teams, companies, organizations, and amazing cultures share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co-host on the East Coast, Judy Bianco Mathis. And I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. In today's podcast, Ginny and I interviewed Jonathan Aberman, Dean and Professor of Practice at the School of Business and Technology at Marymount University in Arlington, Virginia, Managing Director, Amplifier Advisors, and Chairman and Managing Director of Tandem NSI. In today's podcast, Jonathan shares with us how he has led the growth of the School of Business and Technology during the pandemic through connecting to a larger mission while displaying authenticity, servant leadership, empathy, and humility. To stay connected with his teams and his students, Jonathan starts every week with a video call with his office manager, video calls with his professors, and a once-a-week video call with his students. His advice when delivering video calls is to speak from the heart and not from a script, with a focus on providing hope and clarity. The secret to successful leadership as a virtual leader is giving both autonomy and expecting accountability. Towards the end of the podcast, we get real with Jonathan talking about the issues of leadership right now, which include dealing with despair and uncertainty, as well as the opportunities that this time provides, like reading, picking up the guitar, and asking the deeper questions of what is our personal why and whom are we here to serve? Welcome to another session of Team Anywhere with Jonathan Aberman. We're really excited to have Jonathan on uh, on Team Anywhere uh, today, and we'd love for you to just introduce yourself. And I, there's so many things that you're up to right now, Jonathan. Why don't you share with the uh, audience what you're up to today? Well, uh, I'm currently the dean of uh, the school of <laughs> currently dean of the school of business and technology at Marymount University. You know, I'm, I'm so overwhelmed managing things with COVID. I think I blacked out for a moment what I do all day, <laughs> but, no, but I'm the Dean uh, at Marymount and uh, I also have uh, an innovation consulting venture capital business that uh, I've been running for years called Amplifier Ventures. So uh, between those two things, I'm probably one of the busier people in Northern Virginia and uh, having a good time doing it. Great. Well, we wanted to really today explore um, what is, you know, how you are leading virtually uh, you know, beyond the four walls. And let's, let's just, just dive in first into you're running a business school uh, virtually. Uh, tell, us, tell us a little bit more about that and, and some of the challenges you're facing and how you're overcoming them. Well, welcome to my control center, uh, otherwise known as my home office. And I guess like uh, just about everybody right now, uh, you know, it's interesting. Those of us that are fortunate, um, we're fortunate that we can work from home, right? I mean, it's it's in fact, we're we're in a very interesting moment in time where if you're lucky enough to have a job that can be telecommutable, that, that's a really big deal. And uh, I think that uh, for me, you know, I'm around technology. I've been involved in technology for 30 years now in various ways, a venture lawyer, then as an investor, now Marymount School of Business of Technology. And uh, so I'm very familiar with technology, its limitations, and how ultimately it's really a tool. And so when you talk about managing a business enterprise virtually, which is the way I look at managing a university. It's it's an enterprise. A lot of the same rules that you would uh, use and apply in the physical world, you just 
you convert to the virtual world. So for example, uh, I think that as a leader, it's really important if you want to map as a, as a servant leader, you know, vis-a-vis an authoritarian leader. That's something I'm sure we're going to talk about because I think there's a big difference in creating an agile organization. You know, if you're managing as a servant leader, you have to be authentic. So demonstrating authenticity in the physical world, you know, you certain clues that you'll use, uh, open door policy, getting coffee with people, doing things like that. Well, in the virtual world, what's more authentic than doing your meetings without a Zoom background so people can see? I've got my cat in the background hanging out. You can see my guitars and, you know, you get a sense that there's something other than uh, the the boss, as it were. And, and I think that uh, things like that, things like acknowledging if you have a distributed team, you have to force uh, serendipity. You can't leave the meetings for walking down the hall. So um, uh, there are standing meetings that I have with my team once a week where it's not mandatory. It's just, hey, I'm going to be on Zoom at noon on Wednesdays. You want to come in? Great. If you don't, but I'm going to make sure everybody knows what's going on based on what I see. Uh, key people, you make sure you schedule standing meetings. But by the same token, you also have to understand that most serendipitous meetings are five minutes long. So you can't schedule one Zoom meeting after the next to the next because people get burned out. And then, so I, I think it's really just more than anything else, it's understanding that um, uh, the tools are different, but the governing principles remain. And you have to just find ways to adapt your behavior so that the tools don't get in the way. You know, I mean, for example, if you're the kind of manager who says, oh, you know, I'll just see people when I see them. Well, that's never going to work in a virtual environment. You know, I don't care how great you are and just hanging out with people and saying, hey, let's grab a slice of pizza. That That's great. But that does not work in the virtual world. So you have to be, I guess, more than anything else, you have to not be proud. <laughs> that's the best way to describe it. This is a moment where you, know, you talk about authenticity. This is a moment where if you are too damn proud of yourself to adapt your behavior, people can tell. And when they're when they're managing their own lives, you know, kids not at school, worrying about their their health and all the rest of it. I mean, if there's ever a time to be authentic, it's now. People just smell it; they can smell it and they can see it, right? So, um, I, I think in a lot of ways, uh, we really learned at the School of Business Technology, and I and it reinforced for me: if you create a culture that has agility within it. And then you throw new things at people, they adapt mm-hmm. because they're ready to adapt because you have a you have a learning organization. And, and I'm really proud of that. And I'm sure we'll talk about some of those examples. But to my mind, the real story and the real thing that I think everybody watching this or listening, if you're a leader and you're trying to decide what to do, if you can't think about what else to do, imagine you were back in the office and how you 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 communicated well. And just figure out how to let the technology not get in the way of you doing that. That's the best yeah. advice to give anybody. That's what, right. what are some of the what are some of the rituals that you're utilizing that that um, take advantage of the technology to demonstrate your authenticity, to demonstrate that you 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 do care? Um, well, I think so. So first of all, I, I think that that email is an absolutely wonderful and terrible tool for communicating with the people you work with. Uh, email, um, first of all, very quickly, people get overwhelmed, particularly if they're managing uh, everything they're managing. So uh, I think you, you know, I, I underemphasize emails and I overemphasize uh, video communications. 
And so one way, like I mentioned, is I regularly do team meetings as efficiently as possible, but through through Zoom, or you could use Teams or Google, it doesn't matter. Uh, another thing I've done pretty consistently is I've maintained the ritual of starting my workday every day at 8.30 with a video call with my, my personal assistant, with my office manager every day. Even if all we do is just talk for 10 minutes about the weather, my day starts that same way that the key chair people in my school are meeting, you know, regularly on a particular cadence and schedule. And then with the students, um, a lot more video blogging, you know, I'm using Vimeo uh, to communicate, particularly during the spring of the crisis, you know, doing a, a video once a week to the students. And one thing that I think is really important, talk about authenticity, reading from a script is a disaster. You know, people who like, I want to communicate this to you, forget it. Don't bother. You know, you just, you're better off getting into a video for 30 seconds and saying to kids, you know what? This is awful. I know this is awful. It's awful for me too, uh, but we will get through it together. That's so much more important than I want to give you the following 15 data points. It's just, so I think that um, it's, it's more, it's more understanding that, that you need to communicate. Let's put it this way. You need to be tolerant of, you're not going to be able to communicate as much data to people as you do in an ordinary environment. You know, you can't give people memos of 27 data points. You know, it's like, I need you to focus on these three things right now. Oh, and you yeah. focus on these two things today and, mm-hmm. and understand that ultimately that's going to be your level of communication. We'd like to take this opportunity to thank our sponsors, Marymount University, Arlington, Virginia, School of Business and Technology, Innovative Solutions, Upskilling for the What's Next Economy at marymount.edu. And Oyster Organizational Development, dedicated to higher performance, business success, and leveraging teams. They can be found at oysterod.com. And finally, WeJungo, designing customized talent acquisition solutions at wejungo.com. Let's go back a bit. Uh, because of your philosophy of leadership. Uh, but coming on to the School of Business was not an easy step for you to take. And I'm going um, uh, to ask you to emphasize what were the leadership things you needed to concentrate on hmm. in order to build the team and then take those and translate it, you know, when you had to do it all online. So the way you go into a situation like that is you understand that you're with a group of highly intelligent people who all chose a career based upon autonomy and being the smartest person in the room. So if you go into a situation and say, hello, I'm here, you should follow me, they're going to look at you and be like, really? And, and I should do that because? So, <laughs> so the first thing I did uh, was I sent an email to everybody in the team saying, in effect, I know I was imposed on you, at least that's the way it seems. I want to get to know you all because ultimately I work for you. And apparently that I learned later people, really? I mean, so, and then I walked the walk, you know, then I spent the first month and a half that I was there talking with each professor individually, at least once a not more, asking them what they wanted out of their career. Not what, not what I wanted to do, but what, what did they want out of their career? What do they want out of life? And, and I think that that allowed me to get to know my team, get to see what, excited them. And then it allowed me as, as a leader to start to think about, well, here's where I want the organization to go, which was 
multidisciplinary education, more agility in the things we deliver, uh, change the cadence of the MBA program. I had a template in mind for what I wanted to do, but I knew that I had enough people in the organization that actually had the same vision. They just didn't necessarily know it yet. So then I was able to start saying, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we did X? Knowing full well that a lot of people like Jenny, who's one of my leading faculty members, was that make I've been thinking about that too. You know, and and so and, and I think that's really what servant leadership is. You don't come in and say, We should do this. You come in and think, I there are a lot of ways that we can get to where we need to get to. What does my team want to do? So, you know, you start to do that. And then if you start to make commitments, little things or big things, uh, whether it's you know, I'm going to watch your, I'm going to watch out for you as we go through budget cuts, or I'm going to watch out for you as we think about tenure progression, or I, I mean, I really care about you all as people. And you start to, you never promise something you can't deliver, but you deliver what you say you're going to promise. So before COVID, um, you know, uh, we all looked, I looked at the market position in Marymount and said, you know what, we need to focus on upskilling and adult learners because we have a business and technology school and the most important skills, according to all the data I've seen in, in our market, is management and Python. So we've got that in our school. So we need to create more upskilling opportunities, and we need to create more cross-disciplinary opportunities, and we need to accelerate our graduate program. So I went to the professor and said, hey, you know what? We need to shorten our graduate programs so we can do them in a year, which means you're going to have to teach eight-week terms to 16-week terms. And yeah, because the industry says, wow. But then people said, but wait a minute, that makes business sense. Okay, let's do that. Uh, you know what? We should create certificates to help adult learners because we'll, you know. So as a result, putting COVID aside, right now our school is up 8% year on year from the standpoint of enrollment and 20% up on credit hours because we went to a, an eight-week cadence. So in the middle of this terrible situation, our university, our school is growing. And so what is COVID? What, how did COVID fit together? Well, COVID happened. I sat down with the faculty in one of our weekly meetings and said, guys, I don't know when, but I can tell you, I'm looking at the tea leaves. We're going to close. Remember, Ginny? I mean, we, it wasn't like nobody told us. We no, were looking yeah. at news, we were watching newspaper and, and watching what's going on. I said, sometime next week or two, we're going to close. So you guys, we all need to get ready to be online. And and <laughs> we had some professors who didn't even have a computer with a webcam. So I ran off to Best Buy and bought a bunch of computers. And we had a little party where I gave a bunch of people their first laptops. Wow. And and yeah, and suddenly we were online. But you know what? Everybody was ready. But yeah. I knew they'd be ready. Yeah. And But I knew they'd be ready. And here's why. Because I knew, because I got to know them all, that they all cared about the students. So we went online. But the education continued really well because nobody. You knew what was, as you said, you knew what was important to us, and so you could tap into that mm-hmm. in order to keep the vision going. Well, it's proven you get you get greater results. You get greater bottom line results. Your people are more engaged. Productivity is higher. Without it, question. It, it, no, I mean without question. You look, it, it's not just it's not just employees. I mean, if you look at if you look at the companies that outperform. Uh, they tend to be companies that have a very clear why for the people that work there and for the people that the outside stakeholders. There's a why. And the other, and, and they tend, you know, conscious capitalism, right? I mean, I think that those type of companies outperform. But the other interesting thing is another group of companies that tend to outperform, we don't think about, are family enterprises. Mm. Uh, I mean, if you look at the performance of family owned enterprises, on the public markets, vis-a-vis companies, they're not, they outperform. And I think that it's all very consistent, which is 
that um, uh, if people have a reason for why, you know, then it's a lot easier to get to the how. Mm-hmm. But if people don't have an answer for the why, you never get to the how because they're scratching their heads thinking, what's in it for me? Who are you? What does winning look like? You know? That's right. We've yeah. heard um, we've heard on some of their interviews that uh, what COVID-19 is going to, going to do is, is basically if you're a great manager, um, the technology is going to allow you to really be an incredible manager. If you're a horrible manager... Uh, with COVID, you're you're really going to get lost right now. I'm just wondering, in in terms of um, servant leadership, what do you think are the most uh, important tools that are available now to really um, be an even stronger servant leader? You know, given technology and given the the disbursement of your workforce. Well, I think the number one thing is you need to figure out how to right now in in the COVID situation, I think that you need to really understand that people are stressed, people are frightened. And a lot of people are frankly at sea right now in in, uh, what I would call uh, the crapification of information. I Mm -hmm. mean, there's so much information available now, but you know, it's to the point where there's propaganda jamming up so many. It's it's so hard right now for anybody to feel that they're getting the the information they need to be able to figure out how to manage COVID. And and so if you're in this middle of a situation where the, the there's this existential threat, I mean we're all we're all hardwired just on a deep level, fight flight. We're all hardwired to avoid danger, and we're being bombarded right now with a danger that we can't quantify because there's not enough good information for reasons that we all can acknowledge. So if people are living in an, in an information apocalypse, what can you do as a leader to help them? You have to, in the first instance, give them reliable information about what you can control. You know, think about yourself. If you're in COVID right now, you are, you're the one thing in everybody's life that could be consistent and and can be can be clear at a moment when everything else is up in the air, right? So this is a great opportunity for a leader, you know, because if you just say, "Hey, I think this, and this is going to happen," and then it happens, your team says, "Wow, that's great! I talk with Jonathan, I feel better," right? So so I think it starts it starts there. It starts with acknowledging that people are frightened. It starts to acknowledge that people are stressed out, and frankly. The best run organizations right now are figuring out how to accommodate that, whether it's teleworking policy or if it's not a teleworking policy, it's acknowledgement that people are going to be putting themselves at risk mm-hmm. by coming to work. So make sure that you have a mask policy in place. They're unapologetic about that. You, you know, you just you got to let people know that you understand that this is a really bizarre, scary time. And once you do that, then I think you worry about the other stuff. Um, but to to make pretend that COVID is just this this thing that doesn't yeah. concern you as a leader, I think is is just foolish. But right? that's where the authenticity comes in. Here's what I know. Here's what I don't know. Here's what I think might happen. I'm not sure, but get ready for it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the leaders who try to dance around things. I don't know who they think they're fooling because everyone knows and can see it and hear it. Well, I think that's right. Look, I think the other problem right now is that um, 
I think that organizations feel like they need to provide certainty to their employees. And, and it's a really uncertain time. I mean, look, it, we don't know what's going to happen with the unemployment insurance or what's going to happen mm-hmm. with, you know, with, with additional help for the states. I mean, there are some, there's so much variability right now on how the economy is going to look in October. Um, it could look a lot better. It could look a lot worse. We just don't know because it's outside of any organization control. These are macro things. People want to know, am I going to lose my job? The inclination is to say, well, no, of course not. You know, you may not know. It might be more authentic to say, you know what? Right now, revenue is looking pretty solid. I feel pretty good about the future. Or you know what? Revenue is looking kind of shaky right now. We may have to make some hard decisions in a month or two. Maybe you can help me find some revenue. You know, I mean, look, why is my faculty, why is my school up? Right. I mean, why is, why is SBT up 8 9% right now? Because in the spring, I said, guys, we need to find students. That's People right. start to work the problem. Mm-hmm. So, and it's uh, the clarity again. These two things, these three clear messages, not these 10 things, and we go off and end up doing none of them. Right. The other thing I'll tell you is that I'm a firm believer that if you have to make significant adverse changes in an organization, if you have to do layoffs, if you have to restructure, because some people that are watching this, listen to this, are going to be thinking, well, that's great, Jonathan, but, you know, I'm going to have to make some hard decisions. The one thing I've learned in life is you need to tear the Band-Aid off. If you, if you think that you're going to need to cut people, you, know, you may need to cut people 30%, but maybe you get by if you did 15, now 15, late, do 30. Just mm-hmm. do it, get it out of the way, and turn to the people that are left and say, I'm not going to upset you again. You're on the team. Let's get back to work. It's so important. Organizations will bleed to death. Yeah. If they if they try to piecemeal it, and I think that's probably the biggest threat that a lot of organizations have right now is I don't want to give you bad news or I'll just I'll dribble it out as you say, Jenny. And that what ends up happening is people will always assume the worst, and they'll always build a narrative. So just yeah, rip the bandaid off. And is it scary? Yes. You're people what I, what are appreciative. What I hear you saying is, um, is that leaders today need to not only get real with their people, but really get real with themselves. Yes. And, and I'm just wondering, um, you know, fortunately for you, the univer- university has, uh, has grown in this time, which is really- yeah, well, our school has, absolutely. Really yeah. great. I'm just wondering for you personally, um, you know, uh, you know, yes, the three people on this call right now are fortunate that, that our work is, um, we, can, we can do our work from where we are. Um, I'm just wondering, where are you growing um, in your um, in your leadership, in your in your spirituality, in your um, ability to overcome obstacles? You know, what has the, these last four months um, done for your thinking or your abilities? Um, what are the things that you're really focused on right now that's really challenging you as a, as a human, as a leader? I think that the hardest thing right now for uh, all of us is. It's just depressing. I mean, it just the, the whole environment, you know, between the election and COVID, whatever side of the spectrum you're on right now, it's just, it, you literally feel like you live in a society that's just falling apart. Mm-hmm. And, and it's only going to get worse as we get through November, because sadly, what I've learned from watching political campaigns is the most effective tool the consultants seem to have is to demonize the other guy. So we're we're going to be it's going to be a spiral of of sadness. Mm-hmm. Uh, or uh, so what I think is that um, 
the biggest challenge I see for myself and for anybody is how do you combat this feeling of despair? Mm. Right. So I think we ought to start and acknowledge that for anybody, me included, the sameness, right? I mean, yes, I'm working really, really hard. I have days where I start 830 and go six, seven, zoom, 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 zoom. It's exhausting. But, you know, at the end of the day, every day is a day that ends in Y. You know, what day is it? Blur's day. I mean, it's just, it's, it can be just relentless. And so for somebody like me who, who likes to travel, you know, who likes to experience different things, who has a life outside of work, that's based on curiosity, this is a very difficult time because there are only so many books you can read before you want to go to a museum. And there are only so many museums you want to go to before you want to travel. And uh, it's just very hard. I think it's hard for interpersonal relationships. I I see this uh, in in my friends, you know, if you're not careful, all you do is get together on zoom or social distance and talk about how awful it is. (laughs) Right. Oh my God, it's terrible. You know, Fauci, this, so I think that for me, the biggest, most difficult thing has been to, uh, um, as an actionary in person, to be able to tolerate that there are moments that I just can't, I can't act, right? Mm. And so that's one. I think the other thing is uh, people like me who are very action-oriented, type A, uh, I mean, I dress it up, I think, the servant leadership, but ultimately, I really am competitive. I want to win, right? I want I want to win with my team, but I I really want to win and very action oriented is this is not a time right now where you can necessarily be action oriented to the same level because the economy is not good and all the other things are described. So you have to just, I've had to learn how to let some things go. Maybe Mm -hmm. that's the best. And and I wish I could tell you it's easy. I'm not going to lie. It's hard. People who are driven, ambitious, this is a very difficult time. So what I've, what I've said is, just having your mind, you're going to accomplish something other than getting really nice sweatpants and learn how to use Zoom. You know, and so I've been reading more history books and playing my guitar. I mean, I played my guitar so much when you first uh, locked down, I got really bad tendonitis. <laughs> I haven't been able to play for last month or so. It's been exactly, it's been making me insane. So, uh, but those are the big things. I think, I think it's just, just letting go of some things that you just, and understand there's things you can't control. And, you know, Mitch, you touched on spirituality. I think for a lot of people, you know, the, the, um, the idea that there's a higher power, there's a higher reason gives people comfort. So I, I see a lot of that in different ways. I don't think that everybody is religious, certainly not, but I think everybody has their personal why businesses have a why companies have a why we all have a personal why. And, and if we are not feeding that, I think that creates a lot of stress. You follow me? It's all about meaning, yeah. really. Right. Is there is there one question we should be we should be asking you that we're not asking you? So some viewpoint that you have about about this the the world of virtual work. Um, given given all of your experiences with all the companies that you've started. So I I, I think that um, the most important thing I want to communicate to everybody who's thinking about well, how do I how do I uh, make sure I'm the best leader I can be in this moment? I, I think the most important thing is to pat yourself on the back for asking the question. I mean, <laughs> most people don't actually take the opportunity to ask the question. They just live. They just act. You know, over my life, I've, as I, I mentioned earlier, I've, I've helped start 20 
technology business as a venture investor. And every time when I helped other people, because large other people's money, make an investment, I was most concerned about investing a founder who had two big characteristics. And if they didn't have them, I didn't invest. The first one was empathy. Now, empathy doesn't mean they're necessarily a warm and cuddly. Steve Jobs no. was one of the most empathetic people in the world because he understood that this silly device ultimately was going to satisfy unbelievable customer demand. He understood the importance of design. He was empathetic. He, he, understood, he understood how to connect with people. Empathy and self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Because, because people who are narcissistic, who are sociopathic, who are bipolar, who are just impulse-driven, generally are unable to correct their behavior because they're not self-aware. Now, sometimes it's pathology and it can't be helped. But most of the time when people have these behaviors, it's because something happened to them in their childhood, which set them up for that, which they can't fix unless they're self-aware. Self-aware people are always, particularly if you combine self-awareness with empathy, are highly effective leaders because they ask the question and they listen to the answer. So my best advice right now for anybody in a leadership role is, Ask the question, am I doing a good job? And and take the answer and act on it. And don't be afraid if somebody comes back and says, you know what? What you just did was absolutely stupid. Or that was terrible. Or that was great. Don't, you know, don't don't accept the initial answer. Drill down and really get good data, you know, because ultimately it's authenticity. Yeah. So I guess, you know, I'm talking about the silver linings in, in, in COVID right now. And it really is from a leadership perspective is it's, it's an opportunity for you to really go out and get really good feedback. Because I think in an earlier conversation we had, Jonathan is, um, you know, today is not yesterday. It is, it is, the game has changed. A lot of people uh, haven't realized it. Those who have realized it are self-aware. Uh, those who have realized who have realized it, understand that it's it, the game is now about empathy. It's about connection. And um, I just want to thank you for this interview. This is, this is fantastic. Yeah. All right. Thank you. And thanks for uh, joining us. Another episode of team anywhere. Mm-hmm.